are listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Hi everyone, we're the Anderson family, and today our scripture reading is from James 1, verses 19 through 27. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, I am about to drop a Kierkegaard quote, so if you don't want to explain to your second grader and younger how to spell Kierkegaard, make like the Anderson kids and slip on out. We've got sermon childcare available for those second grade and younger. Now's a good time to to slide back there and, and take your kids downstairs for that. Back to Kierkegaard. So, uh, Soren Kierkegaard, Danish philosopher, Christian, lived in the mid, uh, the early to mid-1800s, and much of his writing was in reaction to the Christendom under which uh, the Danish people lived. Uh, The church in Denmark at the time was state-owned and operated, so there was a built-in incentive uh, for the clergy to increase membership by any means possible. The more members you had, the more power the clergy had. It led to kind of a watering down of church, what church meant, what it was, the the mission and the message presented by the church until it became what Kierkegaard called a fashionable tradition adhered to by unbelieving believers. People believed in the church, but not necessarily the message of Christianity. Now, Kierkegaard was an enigmatic character. He rarely stated outright what he thought. Instead, he preferred irony and illustration. So here's how he described the Christianity he saw around him. He said the Christianity of his time was, quote, about as genuine as tea made from a bit of paper, which once lay in a drawer beside another piece of paper, which had been used to wrap up a few tea leaves from which tea had already been made three times. Yeah, right? It's quite, the, uh, it's quite the critique. If you're not a tea drinker or you don't know how to make tea from loose leaves, think of it. It's about, about as strong as making your coffee this morning from yesterday's coffee filter. As I was drinking my coffee this morning, I was thinking about this critique and wondering, what about me? I mean, what about us? What about our church? What about faith church? Are we the the true thing? Are we genuine Christianity, or are we uh, what Kierkegaard would call weak tea, 
Christianity, more, more focused on power and status and position than we are on the Jesus of Christianity. It's, I mean, it's a tough question for us to wrestle with, and the reason I bring it up is because reading James, especially the passage we just heard, feels like James keeps lobbing versions of that question at us. He keeps presenting us with, hey, here's what the gospel lived out looks like. Are you doing that? Or some weak tea version of it. This week in the passage that we just heard read, James is forcing us to address a question like what Kierkegaard posed head on. Are we living a weak version of Christianity or, you know, a cultural Christianity? rather than a Jesus-centered, gospel-shaped Christianity. And there's only one way to know, James tells us, and that's to hold it up to the light, to, to test it, to see. If the gospel is in you, James says, then you should be able to see it coming out through you. Actually, he puts it the exact opposite way. He phrases it almost in a, in a diagnostic sort of way. James says, if there's no gospel through you, then maybe there's no gospel in you. If there's no gospel coming out through you, then you need to ask yourself, is there gospel in me? Now, we're going to take that statement in reverse order, in the, in the order in which James asks it. He first shows us what he means by the gospel in us, and then talks about what he means by the gospel through us. And, and then we'll pause for a bit and ask ourselves, well, what might it mean if there's no gospel showing up through us? So, we're going to jump into the passage. If you've got one of these scripture journals, I'm on page 8. If you don't have one of these, I'm on whatever page you are on if you're looking at James 1.19 through 27. Let's, let's start there uh, with what James says about the gospel in you. 119, know this, my beloved brothers, or brothers and sisters, uh, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, at first glance, it sounds like he's saying if you want to produce the righteousness of God or you want to produce, you want to live the righteous life that God requires, then here's your checklist. Be quick to, uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. So just make a little checklist on the note side, check them off, you're good to go. But no, uh, James is he's too good of a, of a pastor to approach us like that. James is uh, rehearsing, he's repeating uh, what are some stock wisdom phrases from the Jewish tradition. This is the kind of the stock moralism that comes out of Judaism at his time. Like, hey, what does God require? Be slow to speak, slow to get angry, quick to listen. You all know this. So, James starts with something they've all heard over and over and over again. Here's what you need to be because, I mean, the anger of man doesn't produce the kind of life that God wants. Therefore, he goes on to shift their focus off of this impossibly high standard 
standard especially that's, that's difficult and too high for a group of believers who are spread across the Greek world just struggling in little communities and clusters to survive with their new faith in Jesus intact, facing persecutions and trials and doubts and difficulty and affliction. Uh, James writes to him and says, hey, you know what it takes to do what God wants. Here's these three simple things, because if you give in to those, you're not going to do what God wants. Therefore, if you really want to live up to this high standard, verse 21, put away all of that filthiness and rampant wickedness, the stuff that I just talked about, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. In other words, James tells them you have to put away this stuff that's not going to get you to where God wants you to be, and instead receive something with meekness. Receive with meekness the implanted word. Another translation puts it, humbly welcome the message that's already been implanted in you, which raises a curious question. How do you welcome something that's already there? Why does James tell us to welcome something that's already taken up residence in us? It'd be like me going home and saying to my wife, whom I've lived with for 15 years, welcome home, <laughs> as if she'd just arrived for the first time. No, it, it, this implanted word is already there, but we're supposed to welcome it, receive it. Now, most of the times when the phrase, uh, receive the word, is used, it's used in the rest of the New Testament in almost a technical sense, in believe the gospel. Usually believe the gospel, believe the message, believe the word for the first time. But James takes that usage and kind of flips it a little bit, changes the normal use of the phrase to, to make it receive the message that's, that you've already received, that's already in you. Because I think he's trying to make this point that just knowing the truth of the gospel, just having the message of the gospel implanted in you, what was talked about in verse 18, where out of God's own will, He brought us forth into new life by this word, this message of truth, this gospel, just having that implanted in us is necessary for salvation, yes, but insufficient for the life beyond that. Necessary for salvation, but insufficient for living, like putting gas in the gas tank of a car, right? You need gas in the car if you're going to go from point A to point B, but just fueling up the tank doesn't get you from A to B. You also still have to get in the car, put the key in the ignition, turn it on, put it in drive, hit the accelerator, or what's the point of the gas? Now, it's still absolutely necessary but there's more to come than just that initial message. James is saying, look, you've, you've experienced the word implanted in you. Again, that's verse 18. You've been brought into new life by the word of truth, planted like a seed in your souls. That message is in you. It is a permanent and implanted and inseparable part of you. But it's only a guiding and commanding presence within you to the extent that you welcome it, that you receive it, that, that you listen to it. So he's saying, don't, don't just sit there like, all right, I've heard the message, I'm saved, I'm good. 
Don't just sit there, but welcome that message. Receive that message. Allow that message to influence every part of your lives. The point of what James is saying to us is that this message, this gospel, this good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for you, will, it will grow in you and produce righteousness in you. It's supposed to grow in you and produce righteousness through you. Grow to where the life you live looks like the life Jesus would live if he had your life. That's the righteousness of God. So this message is in you. The gospel is in you. You've accepted it. Now will you welcome it? Will you welcome its effect on you? Will you let it change you? Will you bring every part of your life under the influence of this message that's in you? That's James' question to us. If the gospel is in you, will you let it work through you? Because if it's not working through you, well, it may not actually be in you. He starts to get into this in verse 22. Uh, Let's take a running start up to it. Uh, Receive with meekness the implanted word, but be doers of that word not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Put another way, humbly welcome the message implanted within you, but be sure to live out that message. Don't just merely listen to it. Which is pretty simple and clear on the surface, but James is a master of using analogy and illustration, so he gives us an analogy to help, him, help us flesh out what he means. The next few verses tell of a hypothetical situation, a, a person who is studying themselves in the mirror. You've done this. You, you've gotten in front of the mirror. You've leaned over the sink. You're getting in close and kind of like scrunching up, trying to figure out what that thing is that you see there and whether or not you need to remove it before you go out in public. And, you, you know, you're doing all the looking and the feeling and the pushing and the prodding, and then... This guy just walks away, and, and, and doesn't, it's not that he just doesn't do anything with what he saw. It's that he walks away and completely forgets what he saw. No memory of any needed change or any response to what he saw in the mirror. On the flip side, we've got someone, verse 25, who looks into, stares deeply, intently into, looks into is this word for like bends over and peers in who looks into the law of liberty or the law of freedom. More on that in a second. Looks into this law and perseveres, endures in doing it, being not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. Someone who looks, sees what needs to happen and what needs to be changed, and then does it. Now, James calls this person the one who looks into the the law of liberty or the law that brings freedom. What does he mean by that? Well, normally when the word law is used in the New Testament, it's referring back to generally the Old Testament, and maybe specifically the Mosaic law, the law that Moses handed down. And, and there's at least one place in the book of James where he uses law that way. But here and in chapter 2, verse 8, when he talks about the royal law, the royal law of love, He's referring to the law of Moses, the Mosaic law, but as lived out by, interpreted by, and fulfilled by Jesus. 
So not the Old Testament law as it stands on its own, but the Old Testament law as Jesus understood it, lived it out, taught it, and then fulfilled it in his death and resurrection on the cross. So he says, look into, when, when James says, look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the law that brings freedom, that's the same message, the same word as in word in verse 22 and in verse 21. Look into the message of the gospel that Jesus has fulfilled the law for you when you couldn't. So you don't have to. Look into that good news. Look into that gospel again and let it then transform you. Let it change you. Look into this law and work it out. Live it out. Not, not just once, but continually, over and over again, not half-heartedly, not intermittently, but persevere in it. Look over and over and over again, because if you think listening by itself is enough, James says you're fooling yourself. You're deceiving yourself. In other words, if, if, if you think all God wants you to do is listen, then you've missed the point of the gospel entirely. The gospel is not the good news that Jesus died to pay for your sins so you could go to heaven someday. If you just listen and believe. The gospel is the good news that what is wrong with you and what is wrong with, with me you know, that we've set up these, we don't want anything to do with God. We've set up these little kingdoms to ourselves. We're building these kingdoms to ourselves, and in the meantime, and in the process, utterly destroying everything around us, alienating ourselves from God, from ourselves, from one another, from the created world around us. The good news of the gospel is the good news that what is wrong in me and in you has been set right through Israel's Messiah, through Jesus. And that through faith in Him, He has set us right with God and invites us into the process of being set right within ourselves, within our relationships with one another, with God, and with the world around us. And while we're doing that, to invite others into that same restorative journey of putting right what we put wrong through faith in Jesus. If you think the gospel is, believe Jesus, go to heaven when you die, you've read the first chapter of the book. But there's a whole story that comes, and James is saying, why are you happy with just the first chapter? I mean, it's important. It's absolutely necessary. The rest of the book does not make sense without the first chapter. That new life in Jesus is absolutely necessary, and it necessarily leads to what are you doing with it? Now that that message is implanted in you, as verse 18 said, how are you living it out? How is it transforming you? How are you growing because of it? If the gospel is in you, then the gospel should be evident through you. And in the last few verses of this section we're looking at, James raises this diagnostic question for us. If there's no gospel coming out through you, then maybe you need to ask yourself, is the gospel in me? 
It's, it's a scary thought, e- even for me, because I look at the, the things that James says I'm supposed to do, like in 19, you know, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, or in 26 and, and 27 about controlling my tongue and about caring for the, the, the orphans and widows and staying unstained from the world. And I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, it's hard enough just those verses, but the whole rest of the book, how am I supposed to live up to this? It's important to remember as we study James that James is the wisdom literature of the New Testament. We read James through a, a lens similar to how we read Proverbs, right? Proverbs puts things in concrete terms to be understood generally. So you know the famous proverb, right? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it, right? It's, it's very concrete and specific. It, it sounds like if you do this, then that will happen, but it's meant to be applied uh, generally. In general, if you train up a child well, if you train a child well, they'll stay on that same path as adults. Not guaranteed, but in general. And so James, uh, he's, he's teaching us the teachings of Jesus in the same wisdom sort of way, saying, in general, if the gospel is in you, then here's what you should see happening. So if you don't, like, you, you need to ask yourself a question, but also this isn't the sum total of Christianity in these verses. This, these are some diagnostic questions. But like a good wisdom teacher, James puts these things in hard words that we have to wrestle with. And verse 26 is some of those hard words. If anyone thinks he is religious, and keep in mind who James is writing to, he's writing to believers in Jesus. Yes, Jewish believers in Jesus. Believers for whom the righteous life that God requires was summarized as obedience to the law. It was all the rituals and sacrifices and practices and outward expressions, all the things you do. I mean, for them, religion was was religious. (laughs) It's the things you repeat on a regular basis. And, And so they figured, well, the righteous life God requires is summed up in all the things I do. So James hits right at the core of that assumption much the same way that Jesus did in places like the Sermon on the Mount. James says, if anyone thinks he is religious, if any one of you out there thinks you are religious, or you could read it, if anyone out there thinks that you are doing all the right things, everything God wants you to do, yet you don't bridle your tongue, you don't control your tongue, you're deceiving yourself again, and your religion is worthless. It's futile. It's empty. It's not getting you anywhere. Here's what he's he's saying. If you you think you're performing all the right rituals and practices and ethical observations, you're saying the right prayers, and you're going to church every time it's open, and you're tithing faithfully, and you're fasting every once in a while, and you're donating to the missions fund, and you even send the pastors nice notes uh, during Pastor Appreciation Month, but you can't or you won't, or you don't control your tongue, stop fooling yourself. Whatever religion you think you have is worthless. If it's not being lived out in this basic way that those who are following Jesus are called to live. You're fooling yourself if you think Jesus is making a difference in your life. You may think you're applying the gospel to your life, but if you can't stop talking, if you can't stop hurting people with your words, 
if you can't stop defending yourself and tearing others down in the process by what you say, then James says, take another look at your religion. You might be fooling yourself. Yeah, it's hard words, and James doesn't start, stop there. Thankfully, he, he gets positive here in these next couple of verses. Uh, he makes a positive case for what true religion, for what truly the, the righteous life that God requires, what that would actually look like. By negative implication, of course, we can tell from verse 26, it means control your tongue. Stop lashing out at others with your words. Stop trying to get power and vindication and self-worth from your speech. But he goes on from there in verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, this righteous life that God requires, before God the Father is this, and he gives us two more things besides controlling the tongue. Visit orphan and widows in their affliction. In other words, expending our energy and time and our resources in care for, that's what visit means, in care for the hopeless and the helpless. And second, keep oneself unstained from the world. In other words, we don't let ourselves operate under the power structures and the value systems and the life goals of the broader world around us. We don't get our marching orders and our means of fighting from the world around us. We keep ourselves unstained from the world. Now, you could think of verses 26 and 27 as three proofs for, for gospel-transformed living. Now, James isn't saying that this is all Christianity is, as if do these three things and you're good. Like, that's the, all you should expect out of it. But he is saying that at least these three things will begin to be present in your life if the gospel is in you, and you have responded to the gospel saying, I want it to work through me. These three things will start to happen. Not, not just one of them or two of them. We can do that ourselves. We don't need any extra help on that. But all three Imagine a, a person who stands up for the helpless and the hopeless while also humbly serving and caring for those who need care, the neglected and the ignored. Someone who does that with gracious compassion, not just for them, but also for those who are forcing them into that circumstance. The, the one who cares for the orphans and the widows, the uh, oppressed and the neglected, uh, and cares for the oppressor as well, who can see the oppressed as victims of oppression and the oppressors as victims of their own power to oppress. Someone who can, who can do that while also controlling what they say, being compassionate, not cutting, not, uh, not being just out there with their words, fighting dirty. Someone who instead will fight hard and fight well to set things right, not just resort to getting power however you can get it in order to get done what you think God wants you to get done. Balancing, I shouldn't say balancing, growing in all three of these is a supernatural thing. That's why they're proofs. That's why it's evidence of the gospel in you, that the gospel is working through you. If Jesus is really changing us, if His grace is really growing in our lives, we won't grow in just one or two of these areas, but all three. 
And the reason James gives us such difficult admonitions to live up to is to force us to face the question, to be honest with ourselves and ask, is the gospel being lived out through me? Because if there's no gospel coming out through me, and I go back to the question of, is the gospel in me? And if it's in me but not coming out through me, then why haven't I welcomed it? Why haven't I said to this message, to the God of this message, I, I, I want you to save me and transform me? It's a hard question for us to stomach, but it's one that James brings us face to face with, forcing us to ask, well, what about you? What about me? Is the gospel growing in me and being lived out through me? Am I becoming quicker to listen, slower to get angry, slower to talk? Am I finding it less necessary to defend myself with words, to, to build up a sense of self-worth through my speech, to convince people to see things my way so that my way feels valid in my own eyes? Am I becoming slower to get angry, quicker to have compassion, quicker to care, quicker to listen? I mean, those are the hard questions James asks us to get us to this question. Well, if the gospel's not coming out through us, then what do we need to do so that the gospel in us does come out through us? How will we humbly welcome the message that God has already implanted in us? I mean, that's the question for us. So what about me? What about you? James, like I said, is wisdom literature, which makes it tempting to read him as creating checklists for us, lists of things we need to, you know, check off the box and, and do. It's not James's approach. What he's asking us to do, what he's inviting us to do, is to see the life of Jesus in our own lives. If Jesus were here standing in my shoes, and the person who just lashed out at me or who gave me one of those passive-aggressive eye rolls, whatever they did. If Jesus were standing here, how would he respond? Would he lash back verbally, cut down and restore superiority again, or be quick to listen to the loss and the longing and the pain that is behind whatever just happened and to move towards the person in compassion and care? James gives us almost what feels like checklists because he wants to see that we're being called to become the kind of people for whom checklists aren't necessary. Because the life of Jesus is being lived out through us. The gospel in us is becoming the gospel through us. As we reflect on and welcome the message implanted in us. As we gaze on it intently, we meditate on it, we think on that message, that good news, and say, how does, how does that apply to this area of my life? What about this area? What about this thing over here? God, you have saved me now. Transform me. So James brings us back to uh, verse 22. You could call this the key verse of the entire book. 
and forces us to ask, well, what am I? What are you? Hearers of the word or doers of it? Let's pray. Father, we read passages like James, and we feel like we are being held to such a high standard, a standard we can never live up to on our own. And most of us just try to double down on trying harder, working harder to maintain that standard when all you've called us to do is receive humbly and with gentleness and meekness the, the message you've already given to us, that, the message that will transform us in our worship, in our hearing of your word, in our prayers, and in our time with one another. Father, continually call us back to that word, not just to listen, but to listen, to study, to gaze on, to meditate on, to apply, to live out, so that your life, the life of Jesus, may be evident through us that our lives may themselves become good news to people who have not yet been put right with you. We pray this in Jesus' name.